Our salvation is found in the details. And boy, oh boy, dear people of peace, there are plenty of details to be had in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, as we see God send his, his angel Gabriel to deliver the words that humanity has wanted to hear for the thousands of years before it. The Savior's here. He delivers these words to Mary, unsuspecting Mary, and in this short dialogue, packs in so many truths. And in those truths, in those details, he puts forth all sorts of promises. Hear the details of our, our reading this morning. We'll take it just a little bit at a time. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Well, let's take a look at some of the details there. It says very clearly, clearly that Mary is a virgin. And if you know anything about how this reading is about to end, you can imagine how that is going to complicate things in her brain. As she hears the promise of God and goes, wait, but there's a little bit of a, a snag in your plan there, God. You could understand why. It says that Mary is, is a virgin and therefore what's about to happen is Shocking, to say the least. It's a promise that is almost impossible to, to even get yourself to believe. The second thing that we hear is that Joseph is in the line of David. And, and we see this detail is super important because, well, Mary wasn't in the line of David. And so what was going to have to happen is God was going to have to use just some guy, Joseph, who's in the line of David, to bring Jesus legally into the line of David in order to make good on all of his prophecies and promises of the Old Testament as he promised his people that the Messiah would come from the line of David. Yes, even this seems rather improbable. But it's a detail that matters because it tells us that God keeps his promises. We'll continue looking at some of these details. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. And wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Mary is considered someone who has found favor with God. And I know a lot of other, uh, other churches have maybe thought, well, that maybe that means that Mary is perfect. Maybe that means she is without sin. But we hear that, that in the Magnificat, she says, My God, my Savior. Mary knows that, that she's somebody who needs a Savior. No, instead, when we see her called highly favored or favored by God, it is simple to say, look at, look at Noah, who it is said was favored by God. Or look at Abraham, or David. And David says that he was a man after God's own heart. We see that throughout the Old Testament history, God had favored many, many people. But all of those people were just sinners, like you and like me. It seems like you wouldn't want to hinge your promises on a sinner, would you? But it seems like that's what God's doing. He continues, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. This is where it gets pretty intense. The angel is telling Mary that she was going to have a son and she ought to give him the name Jesus, which means salvation. In no uncertain terms is God telling his servant, you are going to bear the Savior. But then he he goes one further and he says that that this son is going to be called the son of the Most High. You're not just going to bear the Savior, you're going to bear the the Son of God? And then he goes one further and he says, and, and his kingdom, this a kingdom that he's going to establish is never ever going to end. So let me get this straight. Mary is told that she is going to give birth to the Lord of the universe, the Son of the Most High, whose kingdom will never end, and she's a virgin. You could imagine how maybe she would hear that and she would be perplexed. Maybe she would have, I don't know, about 600 questions for the angel. But instead she asked just one. She says, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. No, she's not really doubting God's plan. She's not saying that any of this is impossible. You would think she'd have a a couple more questions about the whole son of God thing. But that's not her concern. Her concern is her place in God's plan. And she says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Asking an honest question. What is my role in all of this? But it seems as if all of the other parts were were somewhat okay with her. As if they weren't astonishing to her. It says, then the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Let's not lose sight of how important this is. God delivers Mary all of these seemingly crazy promises and then says to her, and if you have any type of doubt in my promises, Go see what I've done with your relative Elizabeth. God uses the impossible as he makes promises to mankind. God uses the impossible as he makes promises to you. Things that seem to run contrary to our logic and our reason, those are the things that God uses in order to deliver you from sin, death, and the devil. It all sort of turns on verse 37. Verse 37, I think, is absolutely the core to this entire text when the angel ends with, for no word from God will ever fail. For the Christian, for the believer, that makes our heart skip a beat as we hear that every single word our dear Father has ever promised us is going to come to fruition no matter what the circumstances of this world might have in store. That is the only thing that gave Mary the strength, the faith, 
to say, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your words to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Mary hears this absurd promise. She believes this absurd promise. And she just sort of moves on with life. I think we're sort of left with a question on our hearts. I know at least I am. Peace, why can't we be more like Mary? Why is it that, that the Lord delivered her these promises, these, these ridiculous, unfathomable, impossible promises, these promises that were, were hitting human ears for the first time ever, and she was able to just kind of smile and nod along and say, Lord, whatever you got for me, that's what I'm going to take. Why is it that she can do that? And I'm me. What's the struggle or what's the promise that God has delivered to you in the pages of Scripture that you struggle with most? Give it some thought. What is the promise that you have most recently read in Scripture where you scratch your head and you go, I don't, I don't really know. Is it that God has given his commandments not out of, out of anger to you but out of love, knowing, knowing that he knows better as to how you ought to live your life? Do you struggle with the, the simplicity or, or the, the seemingly humble state of the salvation plan that God delivers as, as you see uh, some hay, a couple of folks and a couple of shepherds in a stall and God says, yeah, that's your salvation there. Do you struggle with the promise that in Christ's death on the cross, every single one of your sins have been paid for and you have nothing left to add to your salvation? That there is nothing you can do to get right with God? Is that a, is that a promise that for whatever reason you struggle with? Do you struggle with the idea, especially as you're dealing with somebody in your life that is just ardently against the faith, do you struggle with the idea that the words out of your mouth, that, that very word of God as you deliver truths from Scripture to them, that that is packed by the full credit and power of the Holy Spirit? Do you struggle to believe that? Do you struggle to believe that what happens right here is anything remotely important? That the sacrament is what God says it is? Do you struggle as you, you look at the altar and, and, and you come to the Lord's Supper and God gives you all of these promises about what is happening there and you look up and you see these elements and you go, ah, same old Sunday. Yep, some water, some, some crackers, and some, some wine. That's all I see. God had used the seemingly menial the seemingly impossible to deliver on every single promise that he had for humanity as he sends his son into the world. And, and then we look at his promises and we go, yeah, God, but I'm not really sure about that one. That's that sinful nature rearing its ugly head and saying, I don't know about that promise that, that says he's going to preserve his church to the end. I don't know about that promise that says that he is going to be with me. I don't know about that promise that says that, that I am his and, and he is mine. I, I don't know about those promises because it seems as if the circumstances are telling me I ought not to believe it. 
yes, dear brothers and sisters, we, we take the promises of God sometimes and we, we sort of pick through them. And we assume that some of them are more doable than others. You would think God would get sick of that, wouldn't you? You would think eventually he would go, you know what, if, if you don't care about all of my promises, if you don't think that I have the ability to be who I say I'm going to be for you, then you know what, I'll take them all back. And you don't need to have any of my promises. But that's not your God. No, your God, when you doubt his promises, doesn't start to take those promises away. And in fact, he, he doubles down on them. He doubles down and he says, you might doubt, you might not believe that these things are possible and I am going to tell you over and over and over again in scripture that my promises remain forever. That no word of God will ever fail. That matters to us, brothers and sisters. Because our entire faith is built on promises. Things that that we have not seen with our very eyes quite yet. But what God has said, don't you dare worry about it. Because I can do extraordinary things with the most inextraordinary resources. Let's look at some of those promises that your God has made to humanity. The past, the present, and the future. And see how faith is able to to take those promises and, and make them our own. You think back to that promise in the Garden of Eden after Eve and Adam had fallen into sin and God swoops in and says, don't worry, I'm going to deliver you. Do you think that was a tough promise to believe at the time? Noah is being told by God that he and his family of eight are going to be saved from a worldwide flood in a big, creakety, wooden box. Do you think that that might have been a tough one to believe. Abraham, who, whose wife was Sarah, who's 90 years old, God says, I'm going to use you two to make your name into a great nation. Do you suppose that's a, a rather difficult one to apprehend, to believe? God promises his exiled Judah that they are going to return in the moment that had to have been nearly impossible to believe. And, and yes, he delivers this promise to Mary And she probably told the people in her life about it. Do you think it was tough to believe? And yet see how God has kept his promises. How he sends the Savior in answer for the crime in the Garden of Eden. How he brings this wooden box to the top of the waters and saves his people. How he causes Sarah to become pregnant even when she is, and I will say it again, 90 years old. As God delivers his people from the land of exile and brings them back, God has delivered on every single promise he made throughout the Old Testament. Every promise of the past has been kept. And then we look at our present promises, those present promises that God has made to us. As he says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Those are promises you can take to the bank just as sure as God saving Noah from the flood, just as sure as Jesus lying in that manger, so are the promises that God has made to you. As he makes the promise about the word of God and he says, yes, 
While it might not feel like it, yes, my spirit is behind every word as it drills deeper into the hearts of the listener. My word is powerful. As God delivers his promises regarding, regarding what happens here at the font, at baptism, as he says, it is not just water, it is not just uh, something that is a, a, a humdrum, mundane thing that happens. This is life eternal. This is being connected to Christ's death and resurrection. Whether you come up here and you are 80 or whether you come up here and you are eight days old, this is the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't see it? That's okay. The promise of God and his power stands behind it. And that holds true for when we come up for the Lord's Supper. It might seem like just another thing to do that week. It might seem so unimportant. It might seem so, so ordinary. But what happens up here is Christ delivering on his promise. As he told the disciples in the room, this is my body, this is my blood. So he says to us the exact same thing. This is my body and blood given for you for the forgiveness of every single one of your sins. There is something special happening at the altar. Christ is present here just as much as Christ was present there. You struggle to believe it because your eyes and your reason and your logic take over and you say it's not true. It can't, it can't be true. Look at the 90-year-old woman who had a baby. Look at the virgin who had a baby. Look at Christ who, who entered into this world and, and took on sin and death and rose again three days later for your salvation. Look at those things and then tell me that any of this is impossible for our God who loves us. And as we look forward into the future, as we see those promises that he has given to us about the future where he says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to preserve you to the end. You are mine and someday I'm coming back to get you. As he gives us promises concerning the resurrection of the dead, we might go wild with trying to think of logistically what that is going to look like. But in that moment, God says, just relax. And be like Mary. May your words to me be fulfilled. In all of the best ways, Mary essentially says, whatever you say, God. It all sounds crazy to me, but you know what? If my God in heaven is the one speaking these words to me, then I am going to trust them to the end because we have a God whose reputation precedes him. We have a God who has never been known to go back on his word, who has never come up short, who has never been delinquent on any of his promises, but has delivered on his promises to his people from the dawn of time to right now to all eternity. You can take that to the bank because we do not have a God who lies. We have a God who is faithful to his promises even when it seems impossible. Amen.